This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me is Peter Flaherty. Millie is asleep. We are in the busiest time of the year. This is the week uh, leading up to regionals uh, as we record this. Uh, It's Wednesday, May 31. Regionals are like less than 48 hours away already. So by the time you're listening to this, it'll, uh, it'll definitely be upon you the eve of the NCAA tournament, a very exciting time of year. We finally have uh, an official NCAA tournament bracket. We're not talking about what teams could get in, how they get in, you know, none of that. It's, it's just they're in. We can break down bracket. We can break down how the bracket was, was created. There's a ton of stuff happening. The transfer portal opened officially yesterday on Tuesday there's a for the first time we've got a window and the amount of time that uh, all the players have to get in the portal by the end of the season so that started on on tuesday so that's happening and then of course this is the busiest time of the year for coaching changes as hirings and firings are are being made just uh in the last week both georgia and missouri have uh have fired their coaches leaving the sec with three job openings there are a lot of openings around the country. I think we're north of 20 already in terms of the changes that are getting made. So Peter, very busy time of the year, but it's a great time for college baseball, uh, especially as we look uh, ahead to the, uh, to the NCAA tournament this weekend. So you summed it up perfectly. Um, It is the best time of year. It is also the busiest time of year. And there is, there's something going on for really any college baseball fan, whether your team's in the tournament competing for a national championship, whether your team is out of the tournament, potentially making a coaching change, or even just monitoring the transfer portal for for guys that your team could pick up. So there's something for any fan out there. There is no doubt a ton of exciting baseball and great baseball to be played over the next three and a half, four weeks. And it is really, you know, we talk about it even on the first episode of the podcast. It's a bit of a sprint to the finish. Now it is a whatever more than a sprint is to the finish, we're in it right now. So it'll be a a lot of fun over the next few weeks, and I'm excited to see how it all unfolds. We are going to set the transactions aside for now. We'll uh, we'll catch up on those at a at a later date. The uh, breaking down the regional bracket is uh, is the primary purpose of what we're doing here today. We're not going to go region by region. If you've listened to me do this podcast over the years, you'll know that I really don't like that. It ends up being a little monotonous, and we start off you know really strong and by regional number 12 we're clearly we're, we're fighting it and so uh for the sake of the listeners and ourselves we're not going to do it that way we're going to talk through the bracket in a few different ways however but first peter i guess we should address how the bracket was created uh on selection monday well i guess on, on the on sunday when they released the host sites uh, we got a little bit of a not a surprise uh, I, I guess I shouldn't say, but it was, I know both of us were disappointed by the, the host site announcement. I wasn't surprised by the 16 teams that were, were selected as hosts. Uh, if you read my projections on Sunday morning, 15 of those 16 were teams that I projected. The one that was not, was, I had Boston College in and South Carolina out. And I'll be honest, I, I was probably just trying to manifest a Boston regional at that point. Um, the writing was relatively apparent that South Carolina was probably going to host. And 
I'm not here to say that they don't deserve it or anything. I just, I, I mean, I've said my piece before about why there should have been a regional in the Northeast, um, you know, in BC finished with, uh, with, with plenty of numbers that back up the fact that they had at that point earned a, a regional. I view it as a big missed opportunity to have put a, a regional in the Northeast for the first time in more than a decade and on campus in the Northeast for the first time in like 30 years or something. So missed opportunity there, but that all got dwarfed by what happened on Selection Monday itself. We did get some surprises there as Oklahoma, Louisiana Lafayette, and Arizona all made the field. That was to varying degrees of surprise. I had the Cajuns in and Oklahoma and Arizona out. Those teams being in meant teams like USC, Kansas State, UC Irvine, Kent State, uh, Notre Dame. Like th- Those teams got left out. I felt the worst for UC Irvine. They went like 8-1 and one against the Pac-12. A couple of those Pac-12 teams dropped out of the top 50 in RPI just in the, like, the last two weeks of the season. So then when you're looking at their top 50 record, it looks like they've only played one top 50 team, but they played like eight top 60 games, arbitrary endpoints, uh, you know, definitely doing a lot of work there uh, against the Anteaters. So that was disappointing, but, you know, ultimately, like we can, we can sit here and argue about the last couple of teams in the field, but for the most part, you know, I, I think this was a fine field. It was understandable. Selection Committee Chairman John Cohen said that he thinks that it's time to, you know, take a long look at RPI and explore revamping or completely scrapping the metric in favor of something else. I wrote about that. You can read it at BaseballAmerica.com. It's probably time for all of that. But Peter, what did you think about the uh, about the selections, the hosts, the the at large teams, the the whatever part of the uh, the selections? Yeah. So first, I think I'm with you in the only. The the only host or lack of host that I was surprised with was Boston College because we had talked about it at length last week on the podcast. And honestly, it was a kind of a BC versus Alabama debate, which is ironic because Alabama ended up being the 16th overall seed. So technically the last host, if you want to phrase it like that. And we were going back and forth on the two teams and Alabama's RPI, ultimately it, it skyrocketed to a point where if you take their RPI of 11, the 40 overall wins, it was darn near impossible to to leave them out of a hosting spot. And with BC, I, and kind of when looking towards when could we see an on-campus regional in the Northeast, I don't know what more BC could have done. I guess the simple answer is, well, they should have won more games, but they're sitting there with an RPI of 18, 35 and 18 overall. 16 conference wins, really good quality wins too. And they still don't host. So I think that's as good a chance as we're going to see at a Northeast regional and who knows how long, but um, like you said, overall, nothing too shocking. I'm with you. And I felt the most bad for UC Irvine, because like you said, they had swept Arizona state. They have two wins over USC. They beat a ranked UCLA 12 to four. And so that's six or seven wins that are right on the cusp of top 50 being RPI top 50 wins. So I probably felt the worst for them. I was a little surprised with Arizona. I know that they've been playing great and they look really good in the PAC 12 tournament and they were right on the cusp of a, of a PAC 12 title. And there's something to be said for that, but I don't think that recency bias should necessarily erase or negate the rest of the team's resume or lack thereof. I know their RPI ended up working their way into the top 45 and looking at it from 10,000 feet, it wasn't all that bad, but you kind of look at them against an Arizona state and Arizona state is that series win. And I know with, they, they had a random midweek game that didn't count towards the conference schedule where U of A took it to them and won 20 to nothing. But I, I think that I probably feel the worst for UCI USC would have been outstanding if they had gotten in. I think that they're, this was the start of, what I hope and think is going to be a really good era of USC baseball with coach Stankiewicz at the helm. I think that this is just the the tip of the iceberg of what they're capable of. So it stung a little bit, but they are so incredibly ahead of schedule with what they're doing. There's no doubt that they will, they'll be in the regional mix and and who knows how, how high they'll be able to work themselves in the, in the near future. But overall, the biggest takeaway was, I think the, 
and, and it's such a slippery slope because John Cohen recognized the, I guess, the flaws in RPI, and I agree with him. But as you had said on Twitter, and I give you credit for giving basically the same reply to anyone who asks, yes, the RPI is flawed. Yes, it needs to be changed, but it's not going to change now. Like, this is what they're working with now. Like, this is something to, to, to change going forward. And hopefully it's, they place more of an emphasis on on the ELO ranking, which is a better, I think, snapshot of the overall makings of a team. But nonetheless, um, I, I think it was it kind of went as planned. And then and Kyle Peterson on does a great job on ESPN. I thought he made a great point that summed up the RPI and and what it's about. And it, I could be paraphrasing it, but it was kind of like it's time to stop rewarding teams for trying. And I thought it was interesting because. While it's admirable that some teams will schedule a really hard front end of the schedule or a really hard non-conference schedule to kind of have this RPI cushion when we get down to it, um, you got to win those games. Like I, I think that, again, it's great that you're playing these tough teams, but there's something to be said if you're not beating these tough teams. So um, really no like insane gripes with the field. I Again, I'll... I'll beating a dead horse, but I, I do think UCI should have gotten in. I think K-State also had a good case, um, but uh, it's, it'll, it'll be a good tournament and, and I'm excited to see how the committee kind of reworks their, I guess, logic going forward. Yeah. So I don't want to get too deep into the RPI formula and all the rest of it. It ends up being really wonky and it's difficult to talk about, let alone write about. But what I found interesting as I was researching some RPI related things on Monday as I realized that that was what I was going to have to write about. They changed the RPI formula about 10 years ago and they made road wins be worth more. That was the basic change. And at the time they noted, I found all of this in an inside pitch magazine article, which is uh, the ABCA's like official magazine, the, the organization of American baseball coaches. They noted that, at the time they were changing this, the basketball formula gave road wins even more credit than it gave than the new baseball one was going to give credit. And the according to the article I read, like they said that the baseball people didn't want to go as far as basketball did because baseball was a game that was played outdoors, which is I don't really understand what the point of that was, but that it was a game of or it was a a season of series that it wasn't just, you play one time, you play three times. And I found that to be very interesting. Then when I talked with coaches who are not happy that right now, basically you're, you can be rewarded pretty heavily for not playing very many road games. If you look at strength of schedule, uh, non-conference strength of schedule, even Arkansas rates, absurdly high considering that it played one road non-conference game and i'm not here to like call out arkansas for having a bad or like having gamed rpi I, I don't care about any of the teams that gamed rpi like i would if i was a coach i would have scheduled like mitch hannah's like dave van horn like pick a team with an amazing rpi like the, those guys are doing a good job scheduling to help their teams get where they need to be this time of year. But clearly something within the formula is not working. And it's a number of things that are not working because you can, I don't like the term, but you can game RPI in a number of ways. You can game it by sitting at home and playing a bunch of teams you know you can beat. And uh, you know if your whole conference does that, you're going to end up with a, a high RPI because you're all going to feed off of each other. Or you can hit the road, play a bunch of teams that you're not going to beat, but that you know are going to end up with impressive RPIs at the end of the year and uh, you know feed off of their RPI. And like teams do this literally every year. This year it ended up being more of a flashpoint because the SEC had nine teams in the top 20 or whatever it is. And there were a couple mid-major teams that got squeezed out of hosting. And uh, of course, the, if you look at it, you understand why this became more of a flashpoint. And I hope that this flashpoint becomes the impetus for change because people in the sport are not happy about the RPI formula. That's true. That's been true for years, but it, but it does seem like there's actual, if, if the committee chairman 
who is also an SEC AD and has a lot of juice in the college baseball world, if he goes on TV on the selection show and says, I want to fix RPI, like that you cannot have like a stronger statement than that. So hopefully they act on that. Hopefully that's not just lip service. Hopefully they are able to do some of the things to to go in and correct the metric. Um, because I think that it absolutely has to be fixed. I, I think that you can talk around any number of reforms for the selection process and how they should emphasize this thing or that thing or the other thing. The problem is RPI is the basis for just about everything. And, you know, so if they go and they talk about like, well, you know, you didn't play enough top 50 games or like, oh, Indiana State, you're two and nine against top 50 teams. Well, that all just goes back to RPI. So if you don't have RPI fixed, you know, like, okay. Irvine played one top 50 opponent. Well, you don't fix RPI. That's not, you, you can talk about top 50 wins. You can talk about top 25 wins, top 100 wins, you know, whatever. If you don't fix RPI, you're not fixing that aspect of it. So I, there needs to be reform or a completely new metric. Basketball created an entirely new metric for itself. Uh, they had a lot of advantages in doing so. So maybe I don't know how realistic it is for baseball, the whole cloth, a new metric, but it at least needs to to be examined uh, and the sooner, the better at this point. Yeah. And you make a great point with RPI being the basis of everything, because I think that while it's easy to be pretty reactionary about RPI needs to be fixed, it there needs to be a better metric. Well, yes, it's also not as easy as that because as you said, everything that gets referred to and everything that gets talked about on a team's resume, it's built around RPI. So um, I'm also with you that there's really no stronger endorsement than the the chair going on TV and saying it needs to be fixed. So um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it all unfolds for 2024 and, and beyond. One last question, Peter, before we move on to analyzing the, the field as opposed to the creation thereof. So I spend all spring trying to project what I think the committee will do. And as a result, I think that that sometimes warps my judgment on what the field should and not will look like. Uh, Cause I don't always have the judgment of thinking or the, the, you know, the opportunity to think about what, what I think it should look like. It, it, it's what I think they're going to do, not what I want. So my question to you, someone who doesn't spend, you know, once uh, several hours a week tried to, trying to project the the committee's moves is do you think the tournament should like, should they be trying to select the teams who had the best season February to May, or do you think they should be putting kind of the best teams in the field? And I guess what I'm really asking by that is does a team like Arizona, which is hot right now uh, can probably make a run. Do they, do you want a team like that carved out into the field? Because peak Arizona what we've seen out of them is really good. I see a lot of similarities between Arizona and Ole Miss in terms of resumes. Uh, I'm not saying the Cats are going to go in the national title. Both teams were under 500 in their leagues. They both have like real offensive firepower. At their peak, they're very good, but they also bottomed out at times during the season, and that hurts their overall numbers. That's why Arizona's 12 and 18. That's why Ole Miss was under 500 last year in the SEC, but they got it together late. They're playing really well right now, and they're going to be a problem in a regional, potentially. I mean, we saw Ole Miss go all the way. Do you think a team like that should get in? Or even if their overall numbers are a little bit lacking because they had, in Arizona's case, like three or four weeks where they couldn't win a game? So I'm in the camp, and this one is easier said than done. My overarching thought is you put the 64 best teams in the tournament. Now, how you determine that? That, I guess, is up to the committee. I think there's a lot to be said for the eye test with this. And then also, I think a useful metric going forward is going to be the ELO. But anyways, I'm in the camp of you take the 64 best teams in the country. Do I think that there are 63 better teams in the country than Arizona? No, I don't. And I also don't think there are 63 teams better than Kent State, UC Irvine, and USC, and Kansas State for that matter. So... I think it also goes to to speak, I guess, for the the flaws of RPI a little bit, but um, I, I think you just take the 64 best and put them in. And now with Arizona, uh, it in that logic, it is a very interesting case because I had mentioned earlier, 
I don't think a hot few weeks should negate kind of the rest of the year. Um, but I do think that there's something to be said about them playing their best baseball in May. I do think that it should be re- they should be rewarded for um, kind of this hot stretch and going to the Pac-12 championship and beating good teams along the way. So um, I think that they were completely... I think they they warranted a bid, and I think they deserve to be in. Um, but I I I I don't know if you can kind of like I'm trying to word this correctly. If a lower seeded team in these conference tournaments makes a similar run to Arizona, I don't think it should be rewarded, you know, by almost like an auto bid to the field per se. Um, so I think Arizona is a little bit of a different case where they were already playing good baseball and then they supplemented that with a nice run in the pack 12. Um, so like if like a Louisville had gone to the ACC title game, um, I don't know if it should have been rewarded for that, but I guess long story short, I think you just take the 64 best and you put them in. And I think that we should look past what conference the team's in. We should look past kind of, I guess the classifying a team as a mid major school and, and all of that, which I know that, is going to take a lot of time and it might not ever happen. But again, I just go back, like, are there 63 teams better than Wofford? Are there 63 teams better than UC Irvine? Like, I personally don't think so. So um, it's, it's going to be, it'll be hard to perfect this. It'll never be perfected because someone's always going to have a gripe. Um, but I think that putting less and less of an emphasis on the RPI is is going to clean up a lot of these i guess questions and 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 potential controversies around who gets in the field yeah it there is just a reality that like no matter what selection criteria you make somebody is going to end up mad and like that even happens in pro sports which have like the most perfectly defined criteria you can ask for uh then some team in the nfc south goes seven and nine and you're like wait they get into the playoffs uh you know like uh or or you look at what's happening in the the al right now where the entire american league east has a better record than the entire central i don't know if that's still true today but like it's been true at various points over the last month so yeah it's 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 supposed to be subjective and people want it to be objective and it's just like, that's just not, it's not where it's going to ever be uh, for better or worse. And I don't know that expansion, which you heard on the selection show, like kind of thrown around, not like seriously, but just in a like, Oh, like this is why it should be expanded kind of way. You know, that just moves the, it moves the, 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 the place at which we're arguing about it. In general, I don't feel bad for major conference teams that get left out. I think every one of them can look in the mirror and say, like, well, could have done this differently. And, like, it's true. But Arizona is a little bit of an inflection point for me because they just put a 12-18 and team into the tournament in conference play. And that had never even been done for the SEC. And uh, I kind of think that they might have just set a precedent that people around college baseball are not going to be thrilled with in a couple of years when some sec team gets in at 12 and 18 and like several sec teams get in at 12 and 18 or something like that, that might not work out real well for the rest of the country. I, I fear uh, by putting Arizona in this year, but you know, we'll just have to wait and see on that a lot. A lot can change. And uh, one of the changes might be to RPI. So we'll, uh, we'll see where, uh, where all of this lands, no easy answers as, uh, as John Cohen said about reform and reforming the selection process. All right. So enough of that. We're going to get on to, uh, to talking about the tournament, uh, as, uh, you know, as games get underway here, what to look for, what teams are on upset alert. Uh, we're going to have you covered on all of that here in a second, but first check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything 
on one website. I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, Peter, let's, uh, let's dive in to the, this, uh, this tournament. And I guess let's start with what we think is the most interesting regional. You've got 16 to choose from here. I think they are relatively even this year. Like it, it doesn't, I didn't see the, the field come out and think like, oh boy, what an easy regional draw that is for, for this host. I thought that they did a pretty good job at keeping them relatively easy or, or relatively even you know, maybe a, a, a team in the, the first couple of seeds got an easier draw, but that's the way it should be, you would think. But anyway, most interesting regional. What, where do you think you're going to spend most of your time watching this weekend? I'm with you in that there isn't a regional out there where it's like, or a path to Omaha for that matter, where I'm sitting here and, and saying, oh man, this team, they've they've got a cakewalk. They'll coast to a super. They'll probably coast to Omaha. I I think it's pretty evenly distributed there. I, again, I, each team kind of has a, a bump in the road or, or kind of a tough path, even, even number one overall seed wake forest in, in Florida, but the two regionals that I'm most intrigued by, and the one that I'm probably going to be spending most of my time watching is going to be Stillwater um, with Oklahoma state, Dallas Baptist, Washington, and Oral Roberts. I think any four of those teams could win that regional. And I, I mean that sincerely Washington was in the hosting conversation up until two and a half, three weeks ago, Dallas Baptist, if they, they were potentially a conference championship away from hosting. I, I don't know or think it would have gotten it done, but again, a really good team. Nonetheless, Oral Roberts, they stormed through the summit league. They're two and zero against Oklahoma state, both in Stillwater this year. Um, and then Oklahoma state in and of itself, they went to the big 12 championship. They can really swing it. They can especially swing it in Stillwater. I think any team can swing it in Stillwater. Um, so the ball's going to be flying. You're probably going to see a lot of wonky scores, a lot of double digit games. Um, and I think it's anyone's ball game. Uh, I will probably be talking about this more when we get to our four seeds that can make a run if I'm foreshadowing there. Um, but I, I'm going to be focused on Stillwater a lot. And then I also, in Columbia with South Carolina, that's going to be a tough one for the Gamecocks, especially I kind of have Campbell circled there for, for why it's going to be so tough for South Carolina because Campbell, again, some people thought they should have been hosts. They were right there with their metrics. They're a really good club. They're an experienced club. And they always play with a chip on its shoulder. Um, they always go in with that underdog mentality. Um, Coach Hare does a magnificent job in South Carolina has they've, I don't really even know how to describe it. They've really been playing poorly the last month and a half. They're kind of just, they've been a, in a perpetual downward spiral. They still got a host. Um, NC state is interesting because of its offense and the ball flies at founders park. I don't know if the wolf pack quite have the pitching depth to make it out of there, but I've got, I've got Campbell. Um, I've, I've got a potential Campbell over South Carolina upset there. And then 
looking elsewhere, like you said, every single regional is pretty, um, there, there are interesting storylines in almost all of them. And then I'll, I'll absolutely be honed in on Terre Haute as well, just because it's Indiana state's first time hosting a regional. Um, they're a great story and also a really good team. And then you've got three other quality teams with North Carolina, who had an argument to be a two seed, I think. Um, Iowa had a really good season in the big big 10. Um, they'll be without Keaton Anthony, but still they've proven that they can win even without their best player. So, um, they'll, they'll be a tough out for, that's going to be a really tough two, three game with Iowa and UNC and then Wright state. Um, they've been the Kings of the horizon league for, for quite some time now. And they've, they've posed trouble in the past for some of these higher seeds. So those are kind of the three ones that I'll be mainly focused on, um, but I will certainly be doing my best to to bounce around to all 16. Yeah, so I think Terre Haute is really interesting for a lot of the reasons you laid out there. You know, I, I expect that to be a really fun atmosphere. It's not going to be the biggest crowd because it's not the biggest stadium, but I expect that, that the Sycamores fans are really going to turn out for that. And you get some really good pitching. Indiana State can pitch. North Carolina can pitch. Iowa can pitch. Like, I, I think that that... In an offensive weekend, like it's going to be really offensive, but if around the country, but if you if you want to see some good pitching, I, I think Terre Haute is a is a great spot for it. I also really like the Columbia call. I think that's really interesting because you have South Carolina that's going to be facing a fair amount of pressure. I think to to do something in that regional, uh, fans in Columbia are to say the least a little antsy after the last month <laughs> um, you know the season started so well it hasn't gone so well as of late and i think that uh you know there's there's going to be a, a fair amount of pressure on the gamecocks to do something this weekend meanwhile campbell is gonna i mean campbell kind of always plays with a chip on their shoulder that's kind of part of the identity of that program and they're definitely going to be feeling it after uh not getting to host uh you know, and, and getting sent down there and NC state probably going to be feeling maybe like a little bit of house money, you know, after missing regionals last year, just to be back in that environment. So I, I think that that one uh, has uh, has potential Clemson, you know, I don't love the full field necessarily in terms of storylines, like Lipscomb brings more to me from a storyline perspective. If they're in Nashville versus being in Clemson Lipscomb, of course is in Nashville, and Charlotte, though, is is coming in hot, having won the CUSA tournament. Uh, you've got Tennessee, which, you know, we, we've we spent a fair amount of time on Tennessee. I, th- I think people can understand why that's an intriguing team. And then Clemson's, you know, I know Oral Roberts has a longer winning streak, but like Clemson's the hottest team in the country. And they're trying to win a regional for the first time in more than a decade in Eric Backage's first season. So I, a lot of uh, of intrigue. Uh, in that regional for me. And then I also just want to shout out Coral Gables because from a history perspective, uh, there's nowhere with more, more history. You've got Miami, you've got Texas, you've got Maine, you've got the Cajuns, like all of those teams have been to Omaha before. It's been a while for a team like Maine. Sure. But uh, it's a lot of, a lot of baseball rich programs. And uh, if you do get Miami and Texas on Saturday or on Sunday, uh, I think that that could be a really fun ball game. And this might, oh, this, this one might be a really hot take, but uh, you mentioned, or it's, it's been a bit of a storyline and it will be every year until some team breaks this, but the, the lack of success, I guess you could call it for number one overall seeds is really interesting to watch. And the committee didn't do Wake Forest any favors with giving them Big Ten champ Maryland and uh, Northeastern out of the CAA. Uh, those are two really good teams. Uh, Northeastern is one that I especially have my eye on. They've beaten good teams all year. They've beaten Duke. They've beaten BC, and they've swept Indiana State. Um, they can really pitch. They can really hit. Again, it's it's at the couch where the ball flies, and then Maryland is an extremely offensive team. They... They just pound the ball all over, all over the yard. I think they're the first team since LSU in the late 90s to have back-to-back seasons of 100 or more home runs. It, I don't know if it's 100 or more, but they, they, they've put up really impressive power numbers. Um, with the Terps, I don't know if they've quite got the depth on the mound to hold Wake or to, to really contain Wake. I don't know if anyone in the field 
you can kind of be like, okay, they have the depth to hold Wake to however many runs a game or keep themselves in the game. But Northeastern up up and down that that rotation in their bullpen, um, there are a lot of talented arms, and they have a team ERA of three five. On on the other side of the ball, they all can really swing it, and it's just kind of your Northeast tough gritty team um they're not gonna kind of roll over for anyone and if they can get past the terps and i assume that they'll be playing wake forest in that winner's game um that's that's gonna be a really really fun one yeah that's uh it, it is an intriguing uh regional to be sure especially for a number one seed now the thing about number one seeds is yes they have uh they have struggled over the last 20 years since uh, this format has, has been created. They typically don't struggle in regionals, at least not lately. Uh, so we'll see if Wake can uh, get out of this weekend unscathed. Uh, but really, that's it's been a super regional issue of late for the number one seeds. But Northeastern, like you said, they're tricky. Maryland is experienced and can swing the bats. Uh, so it's, uh, it's not necessarily going to be easy. Uh, the best thing wake has going for it beyond you know just being wake forest and being really good is that they drew george mason which um you know definitely one of the two or three worst four seeds in the in the tournament uh no disrespect but uh you know mason is only there because they won the a10 and uh, they were not the best team or the second best team in the a10 in the regular season so we'll see what what kind of fight they can put up but it's not like uh, Wake Forest has to deal with a high level four seed or a, a four seed with a, a true ace that they're gonna gonna be challenged by. And I guess um, uh, I'm sorry to keep interjecting. Speaking of four seeds with a true ace, um, keep an eye on Nichols down there in in Tuscaloosa. They've got Jacob Mayers, who um, he's been excellent for for Nichols all year. Um, he's a bona fide ace on Friday nights. Um, now it's going to be a really tough, um, tough game to win and a tough regional to win, but, uh, don't expect the tide to, to cruise necessarily to a, uh, to a game one win. You had a one, nine, three ERA, 97 Ks and 70 innings pitch. So if you're looking for a four seed with a bona fide Friday ACE game one, ACE, whatever you want to call it, that's, that's probably your best bet. Yeah, let's uh, let's just talk dangerous fours because I think Nichols is a dangerous four. They already this season have a win in Alex Box Stadium. Uh, this weekend they're they're headed to um, to Alabama. Like you said, they uh, they escaped uh, Baton Rouge thanks to Tulane winning uh, the AAC tournament and some little bracketing principles uh, taking place there. And all of a sudden, Nichols uh, goes from Baton Rouge to uh, to Tuscaloosa and becomes Alabama's problem for the weekend. So. They are they are tricky, uh, and it's more than just just Myers. I mean, he's a big part of it. But they um, they've played really well this season under second year coach Mike Silva. Been a long time since the Colonels have been in regionals, uh, but now that they're there, I I do think they're a legitimate problem. And you know, Alabama as the 16 seed should have a difficult regional. Like if you are the 16, like it should be hard for you. But I think that that. That this Nichols team is a is a big part of why it is actually going to be hard for Alabama as uh, as the 16 seed this weekend. Yeah, no, I agree. And then I think in sticking in Tuscaloosa, um, it, it doesn't stop with Nichols because you've also got BC in there. Um, and if you want to talk about teams that are going to be playing with a chip on its shoulder, um, I think BC is the perfect example. Um, they're going to feel like they were disrespected by not being a host. Um, they've got a lot of quality wins under their belt. And then again, three seed of Troy, uh, who had a really good season out of the Sun Belt. Um, there is no easy game for Alabama, no matter how you want to slice it. And like you said, the 16 seed shouldn't be rewarded with an easy regional per se. Um, but the Tider, they're going to have to work. Any team out of this regional is going to have to really work for a regional title. Um, and especially Alabama as the host, if they want to advanced to presumably wake forest winston-salem um they're going to beat they're gonna have three really good wins coming out of here if they if they want to win it and then yeah no i I, that myers i assume that he'll start for him that myers game one game is going to be that's going to be really intriguing no doubt about it 
Other dangerous fours I like, uh, Oral Roberts mentioned that they have a longer winning streak than Clemson even. They've won 18 straight. They're going to Stillwater, a place that they're very familiar with. They play there every year. They swept Oklahoma State in a home-and-home midweek deal earlier this year. So they've won in Obrate. Uh, they've beaten the Cowboys twice. They've got like 55 wins this year. It's not quite that many. But it's uh, like that is – that's a tough four – that's an RPI for like, I do kind of genuinely think that Oral Roberts probably should be a three, but it becomes, becomes Oklahoma state's problem because uh, I, I think that's a, uh, that's a real challenge of a, of a four team. And then we've talked about Penn on here before, which is uh, you know, a little unusual <laughs> considering that it's the Ivy league champion, but we, uh, we spent some time on them once they won the Ivy league. And, you know, we mentioned that, you know, they have some real pitching starting with Dabrowski and, Auburn has, uh, you know, much in the way that Nichols is going to challenge Alabama on Friday night because they can throw a real, a real pitcher at them. Auburn is going to face some real pitching from Penn. Uh, it's it's a relatively deep pitching staff too, so it's not just a one game thing for the Quakers. Like they haven't been in a regional since 1995. It's the longest drought that got snapped in this year's field. Uh, but I think that they could make some noise. And even though they haven't been in the postseason in a long time. This is a team that this year played at South Carolina. And for the guys that were on last year's team, they played at AM. So uh, I don't think that the uh, the atmosphere there that they're going to see in Auburn is going to be overwhelming to them. And and like you met, Penn is a deep team on the mound. It starts with Dombrowski, the ace on Friday. Um, but Owen Cody's been really good. He's going to be at UVA next year. Um, Brian Zeldin's another guy. He'll be pitching at Georgia next year. Carson Osmer and Eli Tropp out of the bullpen. I mean, they can really, really pitch it. And we saw it in in their first series of the year at South Carolina. And keep in mind, this was a this was a South Carolina team at 100 percent. And while they got swept, they lost seven to four, one to nothing and six to five. So it was by no means easy for a really good South Carolina team at the time. And um, they kind of stormed through the Ivy League, no fuss, no muss. And they rolled their way through the Ivy League tournament. So. I think that region in general is going to be pretty pitching centric when you look at Penn and then also Southern Miss is a team built on its pitching. Obviously Tanner Hall has been magnificent. And then with Oral Roberts wasn't part of the podcast agenda, but if we're picking a four seed to win a regional, I think that they're probably, they're probably who I'm going to pick. Like you mentioned, they've swept Oklahoma state. They played Dallas Baptist tough outside of a, outside of a stinker on Saturday. Um, They've beaten Missouri state. Um, they have the Summit League Pitcher and Player of the Year um, on their roster, and you know it's an environment that they're they're going to be comfortable playing in. They've won there multiple times. They're not going to be intimidated, and I think that they match up really well with the teams in the regional. So I'd I'd probably pick Royal Roberts coming out of there. Uh, it might be a little old takes exposed on that because Oklahoma State <laughs> could. They could very well, as honestly, any team in this regional could with with Stillwater, but Oklahoma State could very well score, you know, twelve runs a game and and kind of coast through this. But they are, they're going to be a team I'm watching very closely because I think for a four seed to have a shot, and really any team to have a shot, um, you know, at a national championship, of course. But when looking at these underdogs in in who's going to advance and and who might be able to make some serious noise. I think a lot is going to come down to how they pitch against these good teams because a lot aren't built to get in these shootout type games. Um, they'll just, they just can't go punch for punch with some of these offenses. So the teams that we had hit on Penn and Penn and Oral Roberts, especially in the Nichols, um, they're going to, I think, cause a lot of fits. And then even, even Santa Clara and in, in, in Fayetteville, just thinking out loud with the, with the Broncos, they've got um, Blake Hammond and Nick Sando. Um, they're 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 going to be good arms abound in that regional. So um, it'll it'll be very interesting because I think that one of these four seeds is they're going to pull off an upset. If we're if we're looking for four seeds that can pull off an upset, I'm just going to like go straight homer right now and say Ball State. <laughs> Ball State won the MAC in thrilling fashion uh, over the weekend with a ninth inning grand slam to give them the lead over Kent State. Uh, they finish it off and you know then in the in the bottom of the ninth closing it out. And they go back to Kentucky where you know Ball State hasn't been in the NCAA tournament since 2006. The last time 
they made it. They got sent as a four seed to Kentucky and they won the opening game against the Wildcats. Uh, and that was part of the reason why UK did not win the Lexington regional that year uh, after winning, I, I believe they were SEC champions that year. And, you know, this ball state team doesn't have, you know, if you've paid attention to ball state the last couple of years or the draft, I mean, you're aware that like Dre Jameson and uh, Chance McDermott and Kyle Nichols, like they've had some really good arms come out of there. They don't have like a top, three round arm this year. Uh, so it's not that kind of concern, but they pitch really well. They have a deep lineup. They're a solid team. And if you look at just open regionals, Lexington feels relatively open. Kentucky has not played that well of late. Now, obviously playing SEC competition is a lot different, but like West Virginia two weeks ago looked like the best team in the big 12 and they're there. And Indiana's there having won 40 games and just been a generally solid team all year. I, I think it's a relatively evenly matched regional. And if Ball State can pull the opening round upset, like who's to say that they can't keep uh, keep the momentum going there? Yeah, and and one, Coach Maloney has done, I mean, one, he's an ED grade person, and two, he's done an outstanding job. So they're an easy club to kind of pull for and and happy to see them get in the field. And they are a really sound pitching staff. As you mentioned, the most prospecty guy is probably Ryan Brown out of the bullpen. ERA is a, a tick high at four, seven, but he's striking out almost two hitters an inning. He's got what's been described as a bugs bunny change up. Just command and control has been a little bit of a bugaboo, but outside of that, Trenner O'Donnell has been getting it done on Friday nights. Ty Johnson has taken a really big step forward this year, which has paid massive dividends. And then, their lineup is pesky and they can swing it. And as you mentioned that, I think that Lexington regional might be borderline along with maybe Terre Haute. But I think in Lexington, there's a case, a legitimate case to be made that any of these four teams can advance. You look at West Virginia, the bottom fell out between the Texas series and the big 12 tournament, but we're looking at a a somewhat isolated sample size of five games. And obviously the recency bias is going to play into it, but They've been playing really well. They've had a really good team. Indiana, similarly, uh, they they had a great season in the in the Big Ten, and and their RPI is super high, and they've got quality wins to their name. Um, so, with tech, with Kentucky being the twelve, I was a little surprised to see them so high. I think that was a an RPI driven seed with how high they were, um, with the Wildcats RPI of two in the country. So, um, really, you know, we could get into any of these regionals. And, and I think that, um, you know, all of them have kind of really interesting wrinkles, but that one, that one, I think is the door is wide open for any of these teams to advance. All right. We've talked about some good fours. We've talked about some open regionals, Peter, let's actually put some number one seeds on upset alert. Who do you think is in most danger uh, as regional hosts of not winning their home regional this weekend. We'll circle back a little bit to maybe 15, 20 minutes ago. The team that I think is in most danger is I was down to two with this one, but I'm going to say South Carolina. I really think that Campbell is going to come out firing on all cylinders in this one. Like we mentioned, they play with a chip on their shoulder, their experience. They're not going to go in there afraid of the bright lights and kind of fooled in this big environment. They'll honestly play up for it. And South Carolina has been in a bit of a tailspin. They're still not healthy. Nova Hall's out for the year. Um, I think the humps are getting them at a good time. And they're they can hit their they can hit with them. And they I think they borderline have the edge on the mound now too, with with how banged up the Gamecocks are. So I've got I've got Campbell advancing out of Columbia. Yeah, getting Cade Cooler back uh a week or two ago was uh was a big deal for them going into this one. He pitched pretty well at the, uh, I guess it was two weeks ago he came back and he pitched pretty well last week at the Big South Tournament. Uh, so that's definitely a, a big one for uh, for Campbell. I, you know, I, I definitely have to echo a South Carolina upset alert situation. I mean, they are not playing well coming into the tournament. They've lost 13 of 18. They've played well over the course of the season at Founders Park, but they've lost 13 of 18 games for a reason at this point. You know, I mentioned, I think I mentioned that uh, maybe I didn't. I don't know. Anyway, the thing is, Alabama, uh, the number 16 seed has not won a regional since the selection committee began seeding all the hosts in 2018. Now, that's not the biggest sample size, 
but there's, you know, we talked about BC playing with a chip on their shoulder there. We talked about how Alabama's drawing a really tough four seed. Uh, Troy is capable of things there as a three seed. So I think those are two that you definitely have to be looking at. And let's get spicy because like we can like cherry pick like South Carolina's like slide (laughs) and backing into hosting a regional in some respects. And I can sit here and say, well, like the 16 seeds on upset. Of course they are. Like they're the 16 seed. Uh, So let's get spicy, Peter. And I'm going to say Arkansas is on upset alert and they should not be. They are the number three overall seed. They're 30 and four this season at Baumwalker Stadium. However, you've got TCU coming in and they're hot. They've won 12 of their last 13. That includes winning the Big 12 tournament, sweeping through it last weekend. You've got Arizona, who we talked about, how good their offense is, how hot they are having. They've won, what, eight of their last nine. They finished as runners-up, uh, or seven of their last nine, maybe, and finished as runners-up in the uh, in the Pac-12 tournament last weekend. I don't think Arkansas has a trouble, like, like they don't have a troubling four seed here, but just the fact that you have Arkansas or that you have TCU, which is coming in having looked great down the stretch and Arizona with that offense and the way they're playing. If you're looking for a top eight seed that might get knocked off and one of them probably will, you know, I think Arkansas got a really hard draw. I agree with that one. And that's a great call because you mentioned TCU and how hot they're playing. They kind of look like a little bit like a runaway train right now. And they're really feeling it heading into Fayetteville. Um, and not only with TCU, Arizona, similarly, really hot, did lose in the Pac-12, and then Santa Clara, another conference champ. Um, and then if we're going to go a little further and pick a top eight national seed, um, I've got UVA on upset watch in, in Charlottesville, especially kind of when looking at ECU, 45 and 17, they didn't make it out of the American as conference champs, um, but they're a really strong club. They have experienced the one thing that's eluded them for however long is a trip to Omaha. I'm not going to go out and say the pirates are going to make it to Omaha, but I mean, if they can make it out of Charlottesville, it's not the, the worst draw in the world with the Conway regional who they'd be matched up with, with coastal Carolina, Duke, UNCW and Ryder. I think that there, there's as much of a path as there's been for the pirates um, to, to make that elusive trip to Omaha. And then again with army, um, I don't think that, you know, Army is going to make it out of here, but it by no means a cakewalk. And then Oklahoma last year, CWS finalist. Um, we You mentioned NC State playing with the house's money. I think that Oklahoma is going to have a similar mindset, one of the bubble teams that, that did get into the tournament. And they've been there before. There's a lot of turnover between last year's roster and this year's, but it's a coaching staff that knows what it takes to get it done. They push the right buttons in June. Um, and that's, uh, I, I think it's far from a cakewalk for the Cavaliers. And I think that ECU is going to be really, really hungry to, to kind of erase this narrative of they, they're a really good team in the regular season. They're a, a pesky team in regionals, but they'll, they'll kind of fizzle and not make it to Omaha. So I've, I've got the pirates there in, um, knocking off the who's. Yeah. I think that that's, uh, you know, obviously ECU knows what they're doing in terms of playing in the postseason. Those are familiar opponents. Uh, Virginia was in Greenville last year, and now uh, ECU's in Charlottesville. They, uh, th- those are two coaching staffs that know each other. They've played fall games against each other. They've played series over the years against each other. So there's a lot of familiarity. And then Oklahoma, uh, you know, knows what they're doing in terms of playing on the road. Like not only were they really good last season and you know, they have experience playing in Omaha and all the rest of that. But for the players that were a part of that last year, they didn't play a home game throughout the the tournament uh, a season ago. So they're going to understand what they have to do going on the road in the postseason. So I, I, I like that call for, uh, for Charlottesville uh, as well. Let's round this thing out with um, let's talk about some players and, you know, look, we, if you listen to this podcast, some of the players we mentioned, maybe maybe you'll know them already, but we're not here to talk about how great Dylan Cruz is and Paul Skeens are here. Like, I want to talk about some players that are going to become bigger names this weekend. And so, you know, for me and Peter, obviously, like we know who these guys are. And if you're listening to the Baseball America College podcast, you might know them, too. But I think these guys are going to become more famous 
uh, you know, nobody's a household name in college baseball, but like in terms of households that care about college baseball, I think these guys uh, are, are taking the next step towards that. And uh, I mean, I'll, I'll just start, Peter. I'll say Bryce Arnold, a Campbell, and really you could say any number of Campbell players, uh, but I'm going to I'm going to go with Bryce Arnold. That's just a feel thing over maybe a loss in Harrell or something. But I, I think he could have a, a nice weekend in Columbia. Yeah, um, you could name, like you said, any of these Campbell players, um, really anyone in that lineup, particularly conference player of the year, Lawson Harrell, um, Bryce Arnold. Those are going to be two guys that if Campbell plays as well as we think it's going to um, and make some serious noise in this thing, it's going to be on the backs of those two hitters for sure. And I'm also going to shift a little bit to the other side of the bracket. Um, I'm going to go to Winston-Salem. Um, in Northeastern. I think that Mike Sirota, um, he's becoming a household name in draft circles, but I think just from a, an average college baseball fan standpoint, he might be a little bit of an unknown. Um, he's got legit five-tool upside for the Huskies. He hit nearly 360 this year, 18 home runs, 19 stolen bases, one-to-one K-to-walk ratio. Um, he's an outstanding defender in center field, good athlete, um, can really run. He's a guy with legitimate five tool upside. Um, and he's got a chance to be the highest draft pick in, in Northeastern history outside of Carlos Pena, who went 10th overall. Um, he's going to be a really good guy and a really fun one to watch. And then going down to Coral Gables shortstop, Kyle DeBarge at Louisiana. He's from baseball factory Barb, which if you don't, if, if those listening are unfamiliar they really run the high school baseball scene down in Louisiana. They they won the state championship again. He's a bar product. Really good defender up the middle, can swing it, got a really good feel to hit, feel for the barrel. So those are two guys that I'm watching. And then and just kind of looking down further, um, Cameron Fisher at Charlotte has become a household name, I think. He's got 30 home runs, leads all Division One. Yeah, he was on my list. Uh, he went crazy in the Conference USA tournament last week to move into first place on the home run leaderboard. And he's, he is a big reason why the Niners are in this tournament to begin with. Yeah. So he, he's one too. There are really, you could kind of go up and down all these regionals and, and all of these teams have really talented players on them, but those are, those are the two that two or three, I guess, however many I mentioned those, those guys I'm, I'm really excited about. Yeah. I think those are, uh, those are good calls. Sirota is, um, you know, definitely someone to, uh, to keep your eye on uh, if you're a draft guy. Uh, but just generally like he's the real deal there at Northeastern. I'm, uh, I'm excited for, for more people to, uh, uh, to get to see what he's about. I, I, I would, I would definitely echo that pick. You know, we mentioned Jacob Mayers. I think that is, uh, a huge name to watch, uh, for Nichols. If you, uh, if you're looking to, to tune into something like that is, uh, whenever he takes the mound, uh, for Nichols, he currently is sixth in the nation in ERA, uh, so definitely, definitely one to, uh, to watch there. And then, um, I got, where's it? My, where is it? Where are we in my notes? I got one more. I wanted to, to call out here. Oh yeah. Jonah Cox at Oral Roberts has like a 40 game hitting streak or something stupid like that. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's somebody that wasn't even on my rate on my radar a month ago. Uh, but his numbers are insane. He, he has this ridiculous hitting streak. Oral Roberts is not playing premier competition in the Southland. It's true. Or in the, not the Southland in, uh, in the summit league. It's true, but they, uh, they're a really good team. Their players are, they've got some really good players. And Jonah Cox is, uh, is one of those guys. It's a great call with Jonah Cox. And they're kind of in my mind, they can get the Campbell treatment. They have so many guys up and down that. Oh line. yeah. And in the pit, like Kate Denton is going to be a guy that I think probably closes all, however many games that they play, however many wins they get. Um, he won pitcher of the year. He's a legit draft guy. Um, and then kind of going back to Coral Gables, it's in talking this out, it's, it's a really intriguing, I guess, mid-major regional because looking at Maine, you've got Quinn McDaniel, the shortstop who is probably going to go somewhere in the top 10 rounds of this year's draft. He's hitting 355, 16 home runs, uh, he swiped 32 bases and his walk to strikeout ratio is 60 to 42. And it's kind of crazy to think, but McDaniel has actually been striking out more lately to kind of, I guess if you could call it like ding this ratio, but 
elite bat to ball skills, can pick it up the middle. He's a fun player to watch. And then sticking with the Black Bears, first baseman Jeremiah Jenkins, more than looks the part at 6'4", 240, 20 home runs on the year, drove, drove in 75 runs, more walks than Ks. Um, it's a it's as good of a main team as as Coach Durba's had up there. And it's another kind of Northeast gritty team with with the names to boot. So those are those are two more for your viewing pleasure down in Coral Gables. And then with Troy back up in Tuscaloosa, um, Shane Lewis at um, at Troy has just been he's been banging lately. Uh, redshirt sophomore, uh, third of the nation year. in home runs. Yeah, he's up to twenty seven jacks on the year. Um, is is going to be one of the more impressive power hitters in that region, along with Jenkins and and Yo Yo Morales. So uh, another another couple of fun ones in Coral Gables, and then. And just kind of straining my brain. That that kind of rounds out my list. Keep an eye on Blake Hammond at Santa Clara down in Fayetteville. He's been their ace. And yeah, that it, I'm just kind of scrolling through here. Yeah, that, that rounds out who I've got. Yeah, I just want to uh, throw out Cam Canarella at Clemson. And like, I know oh, yeah. that he's a little bit of a bigger name because he plays for Clemson, but he's a freshman. And if you... Haven't been tuned like I've spent a lot more time talking about Caden Grice than Cam Canarella because, you know, two way. And I do genuinely just I, I've talked about Grice enough on this podcast. You, you know, you guys know my feelings if you've been listening. But um, Canarella is uh, has been a, a revelation as a freshman. Uh, he's hitting 386 like he's a, a big part of why Clemson has been able to make this jump. So I think he's. Uh, you know, there, there are some, there are some freshmen out there that are worth keeping an eye on that, like, even though they play for big time teams, I feel like haven't quite gotten the love of say like Ethan Petrie. I, I don't think I need to tell you guys about Ethan Petrie, but you know, Ethan Petrie, Colby Shelton, Cam Canarella, like, I, I think these are freshmen that if you're not aware of them right now, because they are still new to the college baseball world like they have the ability to do something this weekend to uh to kind of raise the uh the awareness level and if we want to stay on the one those are those are great calls canarella was a guy that i've been blown away with all year even more so in the acc tournament um outstanding field for the barrel great defender out in center field he's hit his way to the top of the clemson lineup um is I mean, he's just a dude in every sense of the word, just an electrifying player to watch. And in sticking with freshmen, Nolan Schubart at Oklahoma State, 6'5", Adonis, uh, Big 12 freshman of the year, hit 343 with 20 doubles and 16 home runs. Super uh, clutch. I don't know how it, he constantly, I feel like, comes up in the ninth inning. Oh, he's. I, I was going to say, he's got the knack for a big hit, um, and he's got probably... I'd say 70 raw power. And he's he's another freshman who I think is going to be a key contributor for his team in this tournament. And then one of your guys, actually, maybe I don't I wouldn't go as far to call him as a cheese ball for you, but um in Florida, you talk about the Jack Caglions and and Wyatt Langford's of that lineup, but um Cade Curland is a guy that I think would be getting a lot of love if he if he wasn't necessarily overshadowed by those guys, he he hit really well in the SEC as a true freshman, everyday member of a really good lineup, um, and and he's he's been excellent for the Gators. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, within the BA Slack, uh, clearly, <laughs> I didn't realize that my takes were so hot on Cade Curlin, but yeah, I guess he, uh, he <laughs> at least by uh, our internal metrics, <clears throat> I am the high man on Cade Curlin. So. Uh, yeah, I think he's, you're right. Like if, if White Laneford and Cags and whoever else, you know, Rivera, BT Ryapel weren't there, like I think people would spend more time realizing that the kid Curland was, uh, was a huge piece of that. But uh, as, as a member of that lineup, uh, a, a big part of it for sure. And a name worth knowing over the next couple of years. I got one more and then we can uh, quit naming some guys. Uh, but that's James Talon at Duke. If, uh, if Duke's going to do anything, you know, it's going to come from their bullpen. Uh, so why not the guy that has 11 saves uh, make a big impact this weekend in Conway? I, I think that's entirely on the table for the Blue Devils. He's one agree on Duke's bullpen. It's him and O'Shell back there, uh, left-hander and right-hander respectively, each up into the upper 90s with their fastballs with a plus off-speed offering. Um, and then if if we're going to name most fun or exciting player to watch, 
head on down to the Nashville regional. You've also, you've got Enrique Bradfield on Vanderbilt. Who's great. 80 defender, 80 speed plays the game really hard. Um, but my most exciting player is going to be Riku Nishida at Oregon hit 313 this year, stole 23 bases, actually had a little bit of thump in his bat with, with 20 total extra base hits, 14 of them being doubles can really run defends exceptionally well in the dirt, but they've also used him in the outfield and to kind of add to his allure. He, I don't want to say he's the only one who does this, but he has to be one of the only people in college that swings a wood bat exclusively. So is he still doing that though? He is. Really? I heard the, uh, the crack of the, I think it's a Marucci that he swings. I heard it on ESPN during the PAC 12 title game. So uh, just an exceptionally fun player. It's his energy is infectious. It rubs off. So um, he's in much watch must stream territory for me as well. And I promise I'm done after that. <laughs> no, he is a uh, he is a really fun one uh, for sure. So a lot of uh, a lot of really talented players. Hopefully, we can uh, discover even more. That's the great thing about this weekend is that uh, players pop, they go off, and they they have big moments, and uh, you you can learn about some new guys, uh, whether they're new to you or just you know some some players you know just uh, have have big moments and. Uh, you know, this is the the brightest stage of their career and you know we won't really hear about them again but they they come through you know you think about like Carson Finvold for uh for Florida I guess that was last year or maybe two years ago just like came through with a massive start in the the postseason kind of out of nowhere you know like I love that part of uh, of the tournament that you can have players do that uh, so I'm excited to to see who uh, who pops across the country this weekend. Um, that's going to do it for us today on the podcast. We, uh, have plenty, uh, to read previewing the, uh, the NCAA tournament over at baseballamerica.com. So I'd encourage you to check that out. You can follow us on Twitter throughout the, uh, throughout the weekend. I'm at Ted Cahill. Peter's at Peter G Flaherty. Uh, I will be between Clemson and Columbia, probably mostly at Clemson, but going to be at Columbia a little bit as well. Uh, Peter's going to be tracking everything, around the country. So I'm sure he'll have some, uh, some great highlights and everything over on his feed. We'll be back here next week with another edition of the baseball America college podcast to get ready for super regionals and wrap up the regional round. So make sure you're subscribed to the baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find us follow rate review. You know, the deal at this point, uh, we're near the end of the season. You've heard me say that plenty of times. So uh, go ahead and do that as uh, as we get ready for a great postseason run. We're going to have a lot to cover over the next month. Peter and I are excited about it. I'm sure you're excited about it. So like, let's uh, let's just get to these games. I'm tired of talking about them. So with that, for Peter, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.